0: lacking discipline. That's what I'm going to talk about this weekend, seeking God first. Somebody told me on the way in that I'd already heard this message that although the message is simple to understand, it's hard to apply to our life. Ephesians 4, 22 to 24 is the key passage that we're going to look at. It says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life, Put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its evil desires, to be, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on your new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. You know, just a little illustration. If we went, when we look at people, we can sometimes tell what they do for a living how they spend their life by the way they're dressed. If we went to the fire department, we'd see people in uniforms. If we went to the police department, they'd have uniforms. If we went to a hospital, we'd see nurses and doctors in smocks and things. Now, we could put on any of those uniforms and in some way look like them, but we'd not be trained or capable of doing the jobs they do. As believers, we used to live one way, but now we're called to live another way. We're to put off the old and put on the new. Romans chapter 13, verse 14. Rather, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of your sinful nature. Whether we realize it or not, we are in a strategic battle and it's being fought in our lives minute by minute. When we win the battle, we live a life that's all to the Lord and we're useful to him for his purposes. Lose the battle and our Christian walk will be filled with spiritual. The battle is in our mind. What happens in our mind determines the direction of our life. Well, look at uh, Galatians chapter 5 or 16. So I, so I say, live by the Spirit, And you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with one another. I think we all realize that there is a battle going on. There's one way of doing things. It's the world's way or our flesh way, the way we used to think. And the other way is God's way. So there's a battle going on for control of our mind, our thoughts, and our actions. The outcome of that battle will determine the quality of our life. If we want to be disciples of Christ, we need to be people who obey God's command to renew our minds. Habits of thinking and acting are being changed as we saturate our mind with the Word of God. In Ephesians 4.22, we see that Paul was speaking to people who had been Christians for years, not people who were just received the Lord that day. But he was still telling them, you need to put off your old self. The old self means the old way of thinking and acting that we had before coming to Christ. Paul Tillich said, We may have experienced the forgiveness and acceptance of Christ, We may be justified and thus marked to a degree. We may be free from guilt, even from the threat of death, yet may be bound up, tied in knots, functioning at a much lower level as a believer than the possibilities that Christ offers. Some form of transformation happened in each one of our lives when we asked Jesus to come in. I could go down a list of things that I used to do that I gave up soon after receiving Christ. But the total transformation didn't happen then. It's still a work in progress. Unless we continue to press on with that process, the old ways of thinking and acting will continue to haunt us and stop us from being the man or woman of God that he wants us to be. We don't automatically become mature Christians because of the amount of years we've been born again here in Southern California there are many distractions everywhere we look there are distractions even though we know we're to seek God's kingdom first it's easier said than done we live in a world that wants instant gratification and here in America most people wear masks pretend to be something that they're not we keep our defenses up We're afraid to take those masks off and let people see who we really are because we're afraid they reject us if they knew. But the Lord wants us to be deeply committed to him. The media is one example of something that can distract us. For some believers, the media has become more important than reading God's word. Television by itself is a major distraction. Since they invented the remote control it's so easy to turn it on and just leave it on even if there's no particular program want to watch let me look at the other 190 stations there's got to be something on by that time maybe it'll change and there'll be a new program on I my favorite program was Law and Order I love that I love the law part of it and how how the different cases worked out. But if I watch crime dramas every night, it's going to have an effect on the way I think. Because when you see the crime dramas, there's more than murder or armed robbery. There's uh, ways of living that are contrary to God's Word. And I can become callous and indifferent to death and many other things because I'm filling my mind with things that are the world's way of thinking. We can become casual about sin. So I don't watch it anymore. But it took me waking up, waking up to the the fact that I needed to get more discipline in my life. One of the ways that I saw that my priorities were out of line was in the fact that I get up at 5.30 every morning to prepare myself to come to prayer at 7.00. But what I saw was more often, not more often than not, but more often than I should, I was making a cup of espresso before I prayed or read the Word. I saw that espresso had become more important to me than feeding my soul. Anything that we can not live without, we've made too important, and it's probably an idol. I began to think of the times when my life was most fruitful, and I saw that they were when I had a disciplined, structured life. Now, in order to have a disciplined life, once again, I knew I had to make some changes. Just like the verse in Ephesians says, if you're going to put something on, you need to take something out of your life. Disciplines in and of themselves are of no use other than to put us in a place where we're open before the Lord. When I have, or you have, many things that are distracting us, we're not open before the Lord. We're thinking about this, or, oh, i got to do this, i got to do that. But when we're free from the distractions, we're open for the Lord to move in whatever way He chooses to move. We're open to hear from Him and be led by Him. The purpose of disciplines is freedom. Freedom from the things that we've allowed to become too important. Things that in some way may be controlling us. Things that may, in some cases, be, have become a source of bondage to us. A disciplined life will be one that's seeking first God's priorities. Now, there are many things that make up for a disciplined life, and I'm going to name many, and I'm not sure I might have had, had them written on the notes as well at, on the last page. And that's what I'm going to talk about this weekend. I can't talk about them all because they're just not time, but I'm going to mention many of them. Inward disciplines, meditation, prayer, fasting, study of God's Word. Outward disciplines, simplicity or frugality, solitude, submission, service, corporate disciplines, confession, worship. These are things that, there are other things that help many people live a, a life that's godly. One of them is journaling. Now, there are two ways that people journal One is that people journalize their day, what they did, how it went, who they talked to, all those things. The other way that people journal is to journal on the scriptures that they read that day. That makes it more than just devotional reading. You're saying, this is how God spoke to me. This is what it meant to me. The other thing that I found very useful at times is writing out our prayers. Now, if you write out your prayers, you won't fall asleep while you're while you're praying. And you have to think before you can write. You can't just scribble. So you have to think through your prayers. What I used to use, and I've done this a couple times for for extended periods of time, was the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is an outline. When you say, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, then you you fill in all the things you can praise and worship God for, who he is to you. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Go through that. An hour will pass and it will seem like five or ten minutes. And you won't even finish a lot of times. In order to have a disciplined spiritual life, it needs to be a life that commits to self-denial. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Then he said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Whoever chooses to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. Bishop Wilson is quoted as saying, Those who deny themselves will be sure to find their strength increased, their affections raised, and their inward peace continually augmented. Very powerful stuff. First Peter chapter two verse eleven. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in this world to abstain from the sinful desires which war against your soul. Over and over, Scripture instructs us to deny ourselves. The first discipline that I want to look at is a form of self-denial, and that's fasting. Fasting is abstaining from the food for the purpose of drawing near to God and in this process you practice self-denial. There are many passages in the Word about self-denial. I mean about fasting, but I'm just going to look at a few real briefly. Matthew chapter six verse sixteen. The first part of it says, "When you fast." <clears throat> now, although fasting is not commanded, it appears that Jesus was saying everyone does fast. It's just part of your life because it says, "When you fast," it doesn't say, "If you fast." In Matthew nine fifteen, Jesus answered. How can the guest of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time is coming when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, then they will fast. This was an answer to the Pharisee's question about why don't your disciples fast? He said, not while I'm here, but I will, but they will when I'm gone. And we see the first example of that in the Bible would be Acts thirteen two. It says, while they were worshiping and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work for which I have called them. So God gave the disciples wisdom and direction as they fasted. And many times when people are, are facing a very, very difficult decision, fasting is a good way to hear from God because you're freeing yourself from a distraction. And you're also freeing up time to spend with him. Now, fasting cannot be something we decide to do. It's not for the purpose of losing weight or cleaning out our system. Unless we use the time we fast to draw near to God, it's a futile exercise. Fasting teaches us a lot about ourselves. Fasting can reveal the things that control us. It can reveal how much of our peace and comfort come from the food we eat. Many people become short-tempered and uncomfortable when they fast. At first, it may be easy to blame it on lack of food, but deep down, it reveals what's in the heart. Bitterness, jealousy, strife, fear are often revealed through fasting. These are the things that we don't want to deal with, so we just kind of keep them in a place where it's not evident. Fasting will bring them out. Fasting helps us to keep our life in balance. It's very easy for us to allow the non-essentials to take first place in our life. When we fast, we become aware of other areas in our life that we may be compulsive or may be out of balance. If you never fasted, you'd need to do some preparation. I would encourage you to, for several weeks, pick a day of the week and miss one meal to kind of get used to it. Then maybe after that, try to miss two meals but use the time to spend with the Lord. After that, I think you're ready to do a fast. So it's not something that just happens. You have to be prepared for something like this. Fasting teaches us to depend upon the Lord, and it reveals how much more of him we truly need in our lives. The next discipline I want to talk about is prayer. Prayer is communication with God. It's talking to God, but more than that, it's listening to him. Prayer will often involve and include other disciplines such as study, meditation, and worship. They go hand in hand with prayer. In prayer, we are co-laboring with God to accomplish the things, his things, and advance his kingdom. William Carey is quoted as saying, Prayer, secret, fervent, believing prayer, lies at the root of all personal godliness. Prayer is the avenue God uses to transform us. If we're not willing to change, we will abandon prayer as something that's vital or important in our life. Closer we come to God, the more we see we need, the more we desire to be conformed to the likeness of Christ. For to pray lightly, we want to pray rightly and not like it says in James chapter 4, verse 3. It says, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend them on your own pleasures. So our passions must be transformed. So the prayer is not about us. It's about glorifying God. When you or I get serious about prayer, we begin to think God's thoughts and desire the things that he desires. John Wesley said, God does nothing but in answer to prayer. And he backed this up by praying two hours every day. I think of uh years ago I read a book I think it might have been Prayer, The Key to Revival, I can't remember. It was by Pastor Cho. Pastor Cho had the, the largest church in the world. At that time it was a half million people in South Korea. I think it's way over a million now, and they don't have a they don't have one meeting place where we get a million people together, but <clears throat> and he said on a regular day, I pray three hours. And if it's a very, very busy day, I pray four hours every morning. He got up something like three o'clock in the morning to pray because he saw how important it was. It was vital to him. When we look through the history at godly examples, we see they viewed prayer as the main business of their life. We can look at people in the Bible and how they prayed, and they prayed believing that their prayers would make a difference. When we, we see that praying, if it's, if, if it's your will, is not biblical praying. Jesus in the garden said in a prayer of submission, not my will, but your will began. This is before going to the cross, and he was telling the Father, I don't want this. I don't want to suffer and die but not my will, but your will be done. It was a prayer of submission. But when Jesus ministered to the sick, when the apostles prayed for the sick, they prayed with confidence that results would occur because they were praying. They did not pray, thy will be done, because they believed that they knew God's will. There are times to pray asking for God's will. That would be in a prayer for guidance. If we have some major decision to make and we're, not sure which one. Neither one of them are, are, are ungodly decisions, but it's a big decision in our lives. So that's the time to pray. Lord, what is your will? Show me what your will is. Being close to God is vital. If we are to pray for others, it's important for us in intercession as well. First Thessalonians five seventeen says, pray continually. When I'm using the spiritual disciplines that we're looking at this weekend then I become more in tune with the Holy Spirit and more likely to pray throughout the day when someone comes to my mind. The next discipline I want to look at is the study of God's Word. Spiritual disciplines are necessary for the total transformation of our lives. Through the disciplines, we replace old habits of thought with new life-giving ways of thinking. And the best scripture that I can think of that talks about this is Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It says, Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Our minds are renewed by reading, meditating, and applying God's word. Philippians four eight. <clears throat> Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now, I don't know about any of you, but I know before Christ came into my life, if I had a thought that wasn't negative or self serving, it was very rare. Very rare, didn't I? Did I? Did I? not think negatively or in a self-serving way. So if I want my way of thinking to change, I need to be thinking, reading, meditating, memorizing God's Word. And I do. This one, a study of God's Word in the Bible is the primary way in which our thinking is transformed. In the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 18, it says, Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. The purpose was to have God's Word always before them so that they, their thoughts would be directed by God. What we fill our mind with will affect the way we think. If we spend most of our time watching television or movies, it will have an effect on the way we think, and it will greatly d- diminish our hunger for God's Word. If we devote ourselves to reading the Word morning, noon, and night, our minds will be continually transformed. Study involves repetition, concentration, comprehension, and reflection. Since this is what God has been speaking to me about, He also spoke to me about far too often my, my reading time is done, has been done only in a devotional way. Every day, I don't take time to study. I read every day. But, and so he's been speaking to me about spending more time. Whatever you're looking at, do some, do some study on it. If it's a word, if it's a passage, if it's a way of life, look up some other scriptures. Find out what commentators say. And we can all get plenty of commentaries on the Internet for free. We don't even need to buy them. Studylight.com and... Uh, There's there's several places where you can go to get commentaries and look up any verse with five to ten different writers, authors telling you what their interpretation of it is. Now, it'd be nice to say, well, you know, I've uh, I've accomplished all these things and I'm pretty much perfect, but I'm not. But I'm in the process. I'm striving to become more disciplined and I've taken steps to become more disciplined. I've taken things out of my life and replaced them. Next one I want to talk about is simplicity or frugality. You know, I don't have time to um, go into the kind of depth I'd like to on these on these topics, but I can tell you two books that have really helped me over the years. The first one is uh, The Spirit of Disciplines by Dallas Willard. And the other is uh, Celebration of Discipline, The Path to Spiritual Growth by Richard Foster. I've looked at these books over the years often because whenever I get where my life is not disciplined, I need to go back and rehearse the spiritual disciplines, go back and look at what it means to live a life glorifying to God. The discipline of frugality, Willard wrote, we abstain from using money or goods at our disposal in ways that merely gratify our desire or our hunger for status, glamour, or luxury. We stay within the bounds of good judgment with all of our resources. That would include everything from the car we drive to the home we rent or buy or apartment we we live in to the kind of clothes we purchase to the kind of toys that we, we have. When we live frugally, we live within our means, and we do not mount up great credit card debts. Frugality frees us from involvement with all the desires that war against our soul. It frees us to have an attitude of mercy and to walk humbly before God. Simplicity means to seek first the kingdom of God. We all know that nothing should come before the kingdom of God in our lives. Living a simple life frees us from the distraction of what new thing we can acquire and enables us to concentrate on the things that are really important. If someone gets to the point in their life where they're boasting about the simplicity of their life, then it's probably gone from being a a help to an idol in their life. <clears throat> we don't want to go there. In simplicity, we learn that everything we have is a gift from God and that we are willing and, and, and desirous of making our resources available to others. Now, to live a simple life, <clears throat> many of us would have to deaccumulate When we when we have a lot of stuff that we don't need, it clutters our living quarters and it complicates our life. Next I want to talk about confession. I believe that's a very important spiritual discipline. As I mentioned earlier, I think most people wear masks, even Christians, and they don't want people to know what's inside. Confession happens when we let someone we trust know our deepest weaknesses and failures. This is an act of humility and an act of accountability as well. Proverbs 28:13. He who conceals a sin does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. For change to happen in our lives, First, we need to be aware that we have areas that are not right before God. We, wanna, we have to desire to tighten up. Second, we need to come to accept the fact that we need and want to change, and we'll do whatever it takes for the Lord to make those changes. Then we need to humble ourselves and begin to meet with someone who will hold us accountable, encourage us, and not give up on us. Without confession, we can be very superficial. I want to read James thirteen, five thirteen to sixteen. And generally, when people uh, read this, they're talking about the elders praying for them. But the, I think the important verse is verse sixteen: "Is anyone in trouble, he should pray. Is anyone happy, let him sing songs of praise." Is any one of you sick? He should call for the elders of the church to pray over him, anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If he has sinned, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, to each other, and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Unconfessed sin is a burden to the one who carries it. As an example, I remember praying for a man. This is quite a few years ago at one of our prayer services. He had high blood pressure. And as I prayed, I just got this impression that he had unforgiveness in his life. And so finally I asked him, do you have any unforgiveness, anybody you haven't forgiven in your life? And he confessed that, yes, there was somebody. We talked about it for a while and uh, reminded him of how for no good reason on his part, Jesus had forgiven him. He died for his sins and that he had no legal right to have unforgiveness. And after a while, he came to the place where he said, I'm going to forgive. The individual that needed to forgive was not local. He had to make a phone call. He made that phone call and forgave this man and after that, his blood pressure returned to normal. This was the effect that this was having on him. It had it had a physical effect on his life. It's an example of unconfessed sin having an effect on our physical and emotional life. <clears throat> you know, I know of people can't sleep, who have stomach problems, who have a constant battle going on in their mind because they have unforgiveness against someone or something or some more than one person and the people that they have this against may be sleeping fine and not even aware of it unconfessed sin and 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 unforgiveness i think is if there's one major stumbling block to people not being healed it's Forgiveness. It's the biggest struggle that people have. So I want to encourage you. If you're not in a men's group or women's group, if you're not meeting with somebody on a regular basis, then I encourage you to do so. <clears throat> you know, as I talked about. Um, Sharing your deepest weakness and struggles. I've been meeting with this this man for probably ten years now, and we met on Friday. And I confessed to him the deepest sinful thoughts that I'd had—the stuff you don't really want to talk about. I don't know if anybody'd volunteer to be have their thoughts up on the screen, uh, but. I've been thinking about this and reading it, and I'm saying, well, if, I, if I'm going to talk to others about this, I need to do this. Even in, <clears throat> even in a, <clears throat> a relationship where you're accountable, it's easy just to kind gloss of over, gloss over what's really in your heart. So you, if, you, if you're doing it, you need to keep it in a, in a serious manner and be willing to share what your struggles are. We need to have someone who knows our struggles, who will encourage us, pray for us, and remind us of the path of righteousness. There are many other disciplines that I could talk about, but the last one I'm going to talk about is submission. Now, I think more than any other submission, any other discipline, spiritual submission is contrary to our society. Ephesians 5.21 says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The motto of our present day is to outplay, outwit, outlast everyone else. God's values look upside down at the world's perspective. Now, Christian submission is not about being a doormat. It's a matter of self-denial. Self-denial is understanding that we do not have to have our own way, nor do we need to demand that our way, is the right way. Submission is a voluntary attitude of giving in, cooperating, carrying a burden, and putting others first. Christian submission flows out of strength and not weakness. I think of John chapter 13, verse 3, where Jesus washed the disciples' feet. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. He got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and washed his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around them. So Jesus washed the feet of his followers. You would have thought the right way would be for the first one in there to get the basin ready, and washed the feet of those who followed. But it was Jesus who humbled himself and served those who came after him. Christian submission is about sacrifice. John fifteen twelve. For my command is this love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. Laying down our life can mean giving up our preferences, our possessions, even the TV remote control. Our submission comes first to God and obedience to His Word. So this is what the Lord has been teaching me. And the things I talked about, I'm sure in some way are relevant to each and every individual. Take the time to look at your life See if it's truly glorifying God in every way. And if not, I encourage you to be willing to make whatever changes may be necessary. Let's pray. The elders want to come forward. Elders will be here if you're sick today. If you have uh, a need for confession, this would be a good time to do it. Father, we do worship you and bless your holy name. We thank you for the privilege of calling you Our God, we thank you for Jesus, who was crucified in our place. Lord, make us people that put you first in everything. Make us people that are willing to lay down our lives for you. Make us people that want to be transformed day by day. In Jesus' name, amen.